0: Carrion Christmas, a Derrick Playfair mystery, written and narrated by Sir Desmond Stirling. Chapter 6 I gasped at the little man's deduction. It seemed ludicrous, but I couldn't deny the evidence of what I'd just seen. So what can we do? I was unafraid to admit I was felt out of my depth here. I had solved many murders and robberies in my time, but vulgar as they were... They were rooted in the here and now. For all my beads and general grooviness, I was still a hard-headed businessman, ill-equipped to fight the forces of darkness. Grendel shook his head. Well, the nearest I've got to black magic is playing Sneezy and Snow White at the Bobmin Alhambra a few years back. Let's see what's happening on stage, I suggested. We crept back into the auditorium. The audience was still swaying and moaning in their hypnotised state. Foul-smelling smoke was filling the theatre as it escaped the hole on the stage, which was now a diameter of about six foot. Northfield stood on the edge of the chasm, beckoning with his hands, a manic smile on his face. Come, I command you, Krampus, he cackled. Grindle gasped. Krampus? I was none the wiser. He's a sort of Christmas demon, Grendel explained, like the dark side of Father Christmas. When I was a kid, we were told that if we weren't good, not only would we not get any presents, but that the Krampus would gobble us up. Hmm, I said. I can well imagine that there are enough naughty people in a heel-mouth audience to feed the average demon. Northfield was still cajoling his hedian brute. Unshackle yourself from the uterus of hell and crawl through the infernal cervix to this craven world, he urged. I have food for you, he gestured at the audience. I didn't like the sound of that. An unholy roar erupted from the chasm and a giant scaly claw appeared, covered in a red, warty skin with leather talons clinging to the rim. Northfield's face grew even more manic. He shouted something to his acolytes, and they increased their frenzied dancing. I have to do something, I yelled at Grendel above the racket. But what? he asked, quite reasonably. Not a clue, I replied, and started to make my way down the side aisle towards the stage. I didn't look behind me to see if he was following. I couldn't blame him if he weren't. I was halfway down the aisle when I noticed a new arrival on stage. It was Compton. My heart sank. Compton was staggering, clutching a large, half empty bottle of whisky to his amply padded bosom. The events of the past twenty four hours had cracked him, and the foolish chap was suckling at the nipple of the bottle again. Compton ground to a halt and tried to focus on what was occurring in front of him. "'I don't remember this from rehearsals,' he slurred. He looked out at the audience and waved. "'Hello, everybody! It's me, Mother Goose, again!' The audience, still in their hypnotic fervour, ignored him. This peeved Compton. He waved his bottle at them. "Oi! don't ignore me, you rude sots! "'I'm the title character, for Christ's sake!' Usually I'd be very cross at this outrageous behaviour, which would have got him sacked, not just from the show, but my agency. But at least his ranting was distracting Northfield. Begone! the villainous Magus hissed. He turned his attention to the owner of the claw again. Come, Krampus, be born into this feeble world. I have carrion for you to feast on, a whole theatre of carrion. Don't you begone me, you bitch! Compton spat at him. It's all your fault. You ruin this production, you steaming great amateur and your hopeless tart, what's her name? He suddenly spotted Denise as she writhed around the chasm. Oh, she's got no knickers on! He peered myopically at her. Not impressed by that arse at all. Seen better cushioning on the Woolwich Tram, he swigged from the bottle. Is this a private orgy? Or can anyone join in? He giggled. Northfield was getting angry. Silence, you prattling ham, or I will destroy you. Compton pulled a mock shocked face at the audience. Did you hear that? The nerve. Who are you calling a ham? You, you, you dabbler. At which point Compton, swinging his bottle, his torso bulked up with massively artificial knockers, rushed into Northfield, who, unprepared for this onslaught, tried to push Compton away, but lost his balance, and with a horrified scream fell into the chasm. Compton fell back on his well-upholstered ass, and sat, dazed. I then saw, with a thrill of horror, that the claw was still there and that the Krampus was getting an even firmer grip on the stage. The dancers continued their dervish whirling for a while. Then Juracella saw that Northfield was no longer there. She screamed and rushed to the edge of the pit, staring forlornly down into the infernal abyss. With an even louder shriek, Denise joined her. Juracella made as if to climb down into that dreaded hole, but before anyone could stop her, The Krampus flexed its repellent fingers and knocked both girls down and they plummeted after their doomed master. I leapt onto the stage and shouted into the wings of the DSM, uh, that's the deputy stage manager for those of you who aren't in the biz, and yelled, drop the song sheet. He looked somewhat shell-shocked, poor darling, but give him his due, he did exactly that with the quick thinking and fortitude which is the backbone of the British theatre. It's from the carol concert last Sunday, he yelled at me. The panto didn't have one. I gave him the thumbs up and the sheet dropped with a thud. I hauled Compton up on his feet and shouted into his befuddled ear, Come on, old love, we're getting this lot singing. I hot-footed it downstage, avoiding the fiery pit and the claw which was getting more of a grip on the stage and with a quick, soft shoe shuffle haven't lost it, even though it's years since I last trod the boards I shouted, Come on, everybody, it's time for a sing-song! I gestured frantically at the musicians in the pit who I don't think had noticed all the kerfuffle on stage thanks to their decrepitude and, if my prior experience of musicians is anything to go by, inebriation. They stared at the song sheet and struck up. I glanced backwards at the sheet. Approved of the choice and grabbed Compton. I snatched his bottle off him and, when he protested, told him he'd get it back when we'd finished the song. He lurched downstage and, his wigs still akimbo, started to sing, all the while giving the audience encouraging hand gestures to join in. Oh, come, all ye faithful, we began. Both of us in different keys, with a band in a further one that I suspect had never been previously identified by any respectable musicologist. Joyful and triumphant! The audience, conditioned in their trance to respond to instructions from the stage, began to chant along. Neither joyfully nor triumphantly, it must be said, but... Look! I shouted at Compton, not that he would have twigged what I meant. Krampus is losing his grip. I'd had an inkling that a bit of Christmas joy might do the trick. Come on, everybody, I loudly urged the audience. With gusto, boys, with gusto, I encouraged the band. Sing, damn you, I ordered Northfield's acolytes, who were still thrashing about in their birthday suits. Oh, come let us adore him. We sang our hearts out. I, with the desperation of someone who wants to defeat the powers of darkness, Compton with the enthusiasm of an old piss artist. And with a crescendo of, oh, come, let us adore him, the claws of the Krampus lost their grip on the stage and slipped into the pit with a hideous scream. The hole in the stage closed up immediately, and within seconds there was no trace that it had ever been there. The audience started to snap slowly out of their collective trance and stare around in a confused fashion. Fortunately, this is England, so there was no hysteria. Everyone just assumed they'd fallen asleep, which is a natural thing to do in a theatre. They rubbed their eyes and looked at the stage, wondering where the story had got up to. Northfield's wretched dancers slowly came to their senses, realised they were on stage without a stitch on, and ran sheepishly into the wings. "'Grendel approached, looking, it has to be said, somewhat shell-shocked. "'I expect he would have said the same about yours truly.' "'Well,' was all he was able to say. "'I know,' was my wholly inadequate response. "'We took in the audience, slowly coming to life again like wasps after a frost. "'They all gaped at the stage, unsure if the panto had finished.' "'I nudged Grendel.' I think you'd better make an announcement, old thing. He looked at me, horrified. What do I say? I shrugged. Something like, one of the cast has been taken ill? Offer them a replacement ticket for later in the run. What run? asked Grendel. The villain has fallen to everlasting torment. Oh, I can probably find you someone, I replied airily. And if we get enough black coffee down Compton's throat... He can take over the direction. Epilogue Who's the first cracker I've pulled in donkey's ears? squealed Compton, rummaging excitedly for his paper crown. Grendel and his lovely wife Nutella, blonde, six foot two, a former Miss Whitley Bay, 1963, had kindly invited Compton and me for Christmas lunch in their sweet but bijou bungalow, overlooking the seafront. The pier in its theatre, an omnipresent vista from the window. I'd contacted my original hosts, who were sweetly sending their chauffeur to fetch me later on, although I knew I'd have to cough up one hell of a tip to mollify the poor peaked cap sod for losing his Christmas day to the M1. The previous evening, we'd left the local plod to clean up the mess. The audience were all so dazed that they were of no use as witnesses. Grendel and I were a bit vague in our statements too, partly because we weren't sure what the hell we'd seen, but also because we didn't want to be dragged to the funny farm. But they had a corpse and two missing actresses to investigate, not to mention Northfield to himself, although preliminary investigations had turned up no records of anyone with that name. I wanted to tell the fuzz to cool their boots, that this case was one they'd never crack, and they might as well just file it under freaky, unsolved shit. After my enthusiasm of the previous night, the future of the panto was now uncertain. Half the cast had scarpered, the villain and the principal boy and girl had all vanished mysteriously, and the director had had his throat sliced open. You can't buy that kind of publicity, but assembling a new cast over Christmas and rehearsing them would take time. It would be New Year by the time the show was anywhere near ready. But then Compton reminded me that he had his one-man show out damn spot and other Shakespearean dogs. If he did it in drag and added a few sing songs, it would make an ideal Christmas entertainment, particularly for the good burghers of Heelmouth, who wouldn't know any better. Frankly, if it kept Compton off the sauce, it was fine by me. His brief fall from the wagon last night didn't seem to have troubled him; not even a trace of a hangover. <coughs> that's my ride I said removing the napkin from my shirt and my paper crown from my head I stood up well it's certainly been a different Christmas I can categorically confirm that I stated unnecessarily shaking hands with Grendel and kissing his red hot stunner of a wife down boy I sternly warned myself thank you my darlings for your hospitality I hugged Compton "'who had a mouthful of mince pie, which he hastily swallowed. "'Happy New Year, old thing,' I said. "'Send me a telegram when you've decided what you're going to do. "'Otherwise, give me a bell when you get back to London.' "'Oh, I think I'll stay here for a while,' Compton said, in a voice not quite his own. "'With a shiver, I realised it was a pitch-perfect impression of Northfield Loveday's voice. "'I have unfinished business.' And I could have sworn that, briefly, his eyes glowed. The car horn sounded again. I looked at Compton, who gave me a big kiss on the lips, quite his old self. Have a dully new year with your posh chums, Compton said in his own voice, picking up another mince pie from the plate. Gwendol saw me to the door while Compton helped Nutella with crockery gathering. Keep an eye on him. "'I warned Grendel as I collected my suitcase. "'Any reason?' my new short chum asked. "'He's been through a lot,' I replied. "'Don't want him back on the sauce. "'Grendel nodded and we shook hands again. "'I think we're going to meet again, my diminutive chum,' I told him. "'We make a good team.' "'Grendel beamed. "'Happy New Year, Derek,' he said. "'The chauffeur took my case.' and held the car door open for me. A 1937 Bentley, very nice. Should be a smooth enough ride for a postprandial snooze. If only I could get that glow in Compton's eyes out of my mind. Sir Desmond Stirling was written and performed by Anthony Keach.